This week we bring you the story of Bluetooth, Fox Hunts, It's Not What You Think It Might Be, and the latest news from the ARRL. Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Guy. Thanks for joining us again this week on whatever date or time you might be listening to me. It's your host, Marvin W0MET. We're bringing you the latest of topics, news, and information each week right here to this show and hope that you'll subscribe to us. I'd like to start off this week with some great news uh, that we'll begin sending our podcast over to Apple uh, in the next episode or two. And also, I have a new device this week uh, called the PodTrack 4 that will allow me to take some calls in the podcast and have some guests call into the show eventually. So, uh, you know, we are looking uh, forward to more of a live stream when we can and get some more shows and subscribers to join. So please continue to share and tell friends about us and this podcast. Um, We won't have a podcast next week as I'll be on the road traveling, taking some well-needed time off and away. And so uh, we hope that uh, maybe you'll listen to one of the other ones you might have missed in the meantime if you're just joining us here in this podcast. And so, um, you know, I hope that uh, you'll enjoy this one uh, as we get a week off. So here we go. Let's move into some stories for this week. Um, You know, many of us have some smartphones, ear pods, or earbuds, uh, some home speakers, or possibly an amateur radio HT, uh, mini microphones, Uh, or transceivers that have Bluetooth capability. But I came across an interesting article reading over some ARRL magazines this week and found an interesting article uh, about Bluetooth history. And I thought I'd share that this week uh, as one of my um, kind of interesting facts. And so the article uh, from the ARRL showed a 17th century painting depicting a baptism of Harold Gorseman the king of Denmark and Norway. The one thing the king was well known for was the unification of disparate Danish tribes into a single kingdom. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, helps if you have some of your script in the same uh, order. But uh, anyway, uh, so he was known for the unification of, of the Danish tribes into a single kingdom. And in addition to being a monarch, uh, Harold uh, had the nickname called Blatland, and which translates into the English uh, term nowadays as Bluetooth. And so in 1997, Jim Kardec of Intel was working on a system to link several uh, devices wirelessly. Uh, at the same time, he was reading some history of the Vikings and King Harold. And Kardec believed that his new technology could provide a unified standard for short-range communications, just as King Harold had unified the Danish tribes. So after King Harold, um, it was named Bluetooth. Now, there's more to the story than just that. Uh, Harold's initials are represented by two runic symbols, a letter B and a letter X. The runes uh, were combined to form the Bluetooth logo, which we all know well today. So it's recognized across the world, but really few know its origins. And another interesting fact about Bluetooth is that it operates between the frequencies of 2402 and 2480 megahertz. 
and it divides data into packets and transmits packets to many channels rapidly, switching from one channel to the other. So, um, you know, that's how Bluetooth operates. And I think it operates a little bit more higher than even 2480 onto another uh, frequency as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But that's a little bit about history about the Bluetooth, and I hope you find that as fascinating as I did. Um, kind of moved through that fairly quickly, but it was a very short article from the QST. Uh, I think I believe it was found in the On the Air magazine, so I'll make sure I give that credit to where it was. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. As much as we use Bluetooth in our phones and earbuds, like I said at the very beginning, uh, microphones uh, throughout, uh, we find that uh, Bluetooth is kind of all the way around us. Uh, you know, we even have a Bluetooth speaker here at the house, uh, which works very well. So, um, my next topic I shared at the beginning of the show, and that is fox hunting. No, it doesn't involve going into the woods or cleaning up the gun or dressing up in a camouflage. Uh, fox hunting or direction finding, we call it for amateur radio. It's really about finding um, and looking for what we typically would call spurious signals. Now, many times you might get a radio signal crossing another um, on a repeater that's gone off frequency or someone transmitting illegally on a repeater or simplex frequency and that signal needs to be tracked down and located where it's coming from. So with that, um, you know, we've certainly had some stories here in the Nashville metro area uh, that I can certainly probably share one or two of those uh, here today, kind of an example of that and how that worked out, which I can get to in a minute. Um, you know, fox hunting, it's an annual activity that's actually up and coming for my club personally. And uh, it's an event that my club enjoys doing every fall. And we always associate a good barbecue with it and everything. We have a lot of fun. Um, and so we usually do one uh, or two different transmitters um, that we'll put out on a park or on a hill somewhere. Um, so they're, you know, easily found. But, you know, we also will usually remotely fire up the transmitter through using some DTMF tones on the handheld or mobile, you know, to activate it uh, when we begin the fox hunting uh, activity. But, you know, the device uh, begins transmitting some tones and Morse code usually uh, every few minutes, uh, putting out somewhere between like 100 milliwatts and about one watt of power. Uh, And that's, of course, depending on the device we have in use. You know, we have uh, several club members that have come out to the event, and we've had a little practice run, you know, in some park areas beforehand, usually in the barbecue in the morning. We'll hide a small little, like, uh, you know, 100-milliwatt transmitter running on a 9-volt battery and, uh, you know, hide it in a tree or, you know, in a bush or something somewhere and uh, have the teams kind of go try and find the frequency and then, you know, try and go find the transmitter after that, getting a little practice locally for some of those that may be new to that. Um, event and showing up for the first time to our fox hunt and so you know uh, you know I've made a a fox using a a pelican case a bionics pitcon transmitter uh, which I found to be very reliable uh, using a bieno battery and a handheld and really you can buy everything you need from bionics directly and uh, they're pretty good to work with and they can pre-program it for you as well if you need be but, um, you know, as a final step, when you're building that box, uh, my suggestion to you would be able to put some type of label on it that it's a transmitter 
and who that transmitter belongs to. And, you know, maybe secure that box, maybe even to a tree with a small chain or cable of some sort uh, to keep someone from just walking off with it. And maybe even padlocking the box if possible. And I think most Pelican cases you probably can. So the Bionics PitCon transmitters are great little devices and they've lasted quite a while. As I've had mine for about eh, probably two years now. And I've used it several times uh, for some of our fox hunts. The biggest challenge that I've found uh, is with the manual programming of it. But I believe there is a program out there that I've found to program that's from the Bionics webpage directly. And it will let you uh, set your tones and your time and everything like that. So I, um, I've got that downloaded now, but I've not actually set that up for myself yet. So that will be something I'll be doing later on uh, in the very near future here before our fall fox hunt. So, and I can follow up in a later podcast you know, if you'd like and um, you know, tell you how I tried it and see if I figured it out or not. Another part of fox hunting uh, is for the, um, you know, once you start getting the uh, device set and you have your personnel who's going to go out and look for that, you know, um, they need a good type of uh, Yagi antenna and typically also an attenuator. And, you know, this is for helping find the fox that can be simple as a tape measure built directional Yagi antenna. Or sometimes you can find some more commercial ones, for example, like the Aero antenna, which makes a very good uh, antenna overall uh, for direction finding. And it's also kind of a cross for satellite operation as well. But in this purpose, we'd use it for Aero antennas. Uh, another great antenna to have as part of your collection is a small loop antenna, which will help you get closer. Um, when you get closer to the device, uh, it kind of helps uh, um, in, in your direction finding process. Uh, and, and if you have an attenuator with that, that makes it even better. And so really the final thing for that, um, it's not as necessary to have the attenuator, but it certainly helps. And it's the device, um, when you're closing in on it, your, your signals are usually pretty strong. And so it's hard for your Yagi to really, um, determine which direction that thing's coming from. And so, um, you're getting so, so much RF into it. So, you know, sometimes the signal is so strong that the RF will leak into the radio um, and the connections and other equipment making the antenna really useless at that point. So the solution to use that is an offset antenna, an attenuator, my apologies. And so the, the circuit uh, consists of a small RF generator, uh, which will mix with the incoming Fox signal and produce a new signal at a plus or minus the Fox signal. Um, also, it's involving a potentiometer on the board, which changes the injection level of the RF generator, which in turn uh, attenuates the incoming mixed signal to your radio to a level where tracking can continue. So um, I had kind of looked it up a little bit myself. I didn't have a really good description of that, but it's basically taking that signal and, and adjusting a little bit uh, to something, um, to another nearby frequency, um, which then you can, um, it kind of mixes with your incoming signal. And so it gives you to a level where you can track and continue. Uh, you can turn and dial it usually. has a nice dial on it. And again, uh, Bionics has a nice one. And I'm not sure if Big Red B, which I might mention or have mentioned here to get one uh, from, might have one as well. But um, that would be um, another option. And there's a couple other sites out there also that have them. If you go look on like uh, eBay or uh, just some other uh, amateur radio fox hunt attenuators, you can certainly find some. 
So one of the latest stories, um, most recent within probably the last month or two, um, where fox hunting was useful uh, on a local level here in the Nashville area, uh, was a local public safety frequency that was getting some spurious tones on its frequency. Um, and so, you know, the um, county had reached out to the local group and asked if we could help track it down. And as a collaborative effort uh, with another group, um, one of the guys who works at one of the local hospitals found the problem on a hospital rooftop with a repeater that has gone rogue um, after a storm had moved in. I think it was just like on that Saturday night and like Monday or Tuesday, we started getting some of those signals. And so, um, you know, within, you know, two or three days, um, you know, the issue was resolved. But, uh, you know, one of the guys found that repeater had jumped frequency uh, on top of the hospital, uh, which was, was causing issues with the other public safety ban. And so... That's just one of the local, uh, one of the, um, you know, examples, but, you know, it's important to practice direction finding and have some tools to help hone in on those skills when you do need them for such events, you know, even as a, a local county uh, asking for us uh, to help out. And so, you know, you can find all the items you need to build the transmitter tools. Again, probably right at bionics.com. Uh, or, you know, any other sites, like I, I think I mentioned a minute ago, was the Big Red Bee. And if you're really interested in this and want a little bit more, uh, Amazon has a great book on direction finding called uh, Transmitter Hunting, Radio Direction Finding Simplified. And um, I want to say it was right around that $20 range uh, for the book. Uh, I don't have that offhand in my notes, but that was the uh, name of the book was transmitter hunting radio direction finding simplified so uh certainly find that on amazon if you wish moving into some news here from the awrl news desk a local member of the Stones River Amateur Radio Club here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, participated this past week in the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. You may have heard about this story. It will also be coming out in the Delta Division News uh, letter coming up pretty soon. Uh, Ryan Pearson, uh, KN4VKW, uh, number seven for the Nolensville uh, Little League team, uh, was a pitcher and a shortstop. And Ryan uh, had a dream of going to the World Series and uh, was uh, apparently considered to be the first official recognized ham in the little world in the Little League World Series. So his brother Blake and dad Andrew are also licensed amateur operators out of Brentwood, Tennessee. So uh, congratulations to Ryan Pearson uh, for making the little world World Series. I don't believe they won it, but uh, they did do very well overall. And in further news, the FCC has announced that fees will likely not go into effect before 2022. And this is due to changes necessary with the uh, uniform licensing system, software changes, and processes and procedures required to collect fees. So it will be most likely sometime in the first quarter of 22, they're saying, and $35 application fee for all the VEs. Um, will not have to be collected uh, at the time of testing. So good news for all of us VEs. We don't have to collect that $35. That'll be uh, a nice 
uh, not have to worry about that. Uh, but the $35 application fee will apply to new, modified, renewals, and vanity call sign applications. And so if you do a renewal and a vanity call sign, uh, that is 70 bucks as fees are per application. So for each a modification or change, uh, or if you had to do a renewal at the same time, is a $35 application for each one. So uh, that kind of bites, I'll say. Um, but we'll update you more about that as we learn more about the effective date coming out in 2022. They're thinking about that first quarter. So we'll see what that looks like. And so, um, you know, my next item, well, this is not really news. Um, I believe it is noteworthy enough to mention that the AWRL puts on some great classes through their learning network. Uh, just two of the upcoming classes in September and October is intro into DMR and working the pileup. So I hope that you'll take some time to join uh, one of those two classes and certainly hope you uh, watch working the pileup myself as I get into those uh, during contests and even some photo activation. So I think it's always good to have a little more um, learning and, and education about, uh, you know, amateur radio operation. You kind of get your testing and licensing, but then you don't get a whole lot of training on that afterwards. So anyway, um, that might be something good to take in as one of those two classes. And DMR is it's certainly uh, been up and coming in the Nashville area, and we have a number of repeaters now with DMR in it. Uh, that might be also a good class to uh, learn a little bit more lessons about that. And I know my Stones River Amateur Radio Club webpage, uh, which can be found at srartn.org, also has some great videos about DMR on there and using the Anytone 878 radio. Uh, K3RA, Roland Anders, uh, has announced the starting date for this year's free technician license classes. They're being held via Zoom. They start on September 9th and run for seven sessions. You can contact Roland at roland.anders, A-N-D-E-R-S, at comcast.net to sign up. And also the Stones River Amateur Radio Club will be hosting an in-person class starting late October for technician classes licensed here in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee, if you're interested in a local class, uh, possibly. If you're a licensed operator, I encourage you to join the ARRL for many of the benefits of the magazine, the equipment insurance, which I've found very reasonable myself, some of the discounts and books and things like that you'll get, uh, and just, again, the many learning opportunities they provide, and just being the voice in Washington, D.C., uh, to main our privileges as licensed amateur radio operators. I know they do a lot on the lobby front to uh, help us keep our frequencies and, and information, so... Uh, you know, I hope that, uh, you will take a little time and, um, read over to AWRL and, and find, you know, some of the many benefits that you can achieve for your, you know, roughly $45 of membership every year. And as always, this is your, um, you know, ham radio guy in the chair and on the air, uh, for another episode. And that brings this, uh, show to a close this week and hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you'll submit that subscribe button and share with friends and that you learned something as well this week that uh, will help you in your ham radio operations. This is the Ham Radio Guy. I say 73, Marvin W0, MET.